Father, we just uh, come before you this morning. We just thank you for your love and for our lives, God. I just thank you for my family here in Tooele, and I just ask that you would bless us this morning with your presence, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and hunker down right here, that you would overflow us. Your word says that we are indwelt by you, God. Will you fill us from the inside out today? We would just be overflowing into this community, into this uh, state, into this nation, that we would uh, grab something today, Jesus, so powerful that it would change the rest of our lives on this planet and change other people's eternal trajectories, God. That we would just get you so lifted, so high today. Jesus, your word says that if we would lift you high, that you would draw all men, all women to yourself, God. This morning, we just want to lift you high, Jesus. We just want to uh, exalt you, magnify you, God. We just want you to be lifted, that you would be the center of everything today, God. That you'd be sent the center of, of Tooele Springs Calvary Chapel, Jesus. That we would uh, look to and see nothing but you, God. I ask that you would bring a, a spirit of receiving here. And that each and every person here, God, would, would take something home, me included, God. That you would give us something, a deeper love for you today, Jesus. A deeper understanding, a deeper recognition of you, God. That you would just, uh, that you would just fill us today with your goodness. We just... Uh, are hungry and, and, and desiring that, God. We just want you, Jesus. We just need you, Jesus. We just uh, so uh, empty and lost without you, God. There's nothing we can do without you, Jesus. So we ask that you would be the center of this day. We just love you, thank you, praise you, need you, and want you. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we get into this, uh, we're, we're going to be in James, but let's, uh, let's just uh, take a little background on James. So James, this is not John and James. This is the, one of the sons of thunder. This is Jesus' half-brother, James, and he's uh, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So it's a kind of a big deal. It's not really a big, giant deal, but it's a kind of a big deal, right? And, 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 and James uh, has a unique perspective, more unique than anybody. You know, one of the qualifications for the early church, whether you were qualified to preach or teach about Jesus, was whether you knew Jesus, whether you had walked with Jesus, whether you had been there in the ministry with Jesus. Well, James, uh, not only in the, or seen the ministry of Jesus, but he lived with him his whole life. James knows Jesus like nobody knows Jesus. James, James, James uh, has a, a, the most unique look at Jesus. You know, anytime that you see Jesus, it's, it's, it's perfect, right? I'm starting to think about Jesus. I got this thing going now. I got to get off of it before all I do really say is Jesus. I'm not even kidding. We could be here for 45 minutes just speaking Jesus. So listen, also uh, James uh, is considered uh, by theologians uh, the, the book of wisdom in the New Testament, so we have Proverbs in the Old Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, James is considered that. And listen, there's some, there's some tough stuff in James, and there's some hard things that James says. But listen, what, what James does, and, and what I want to do this morning is, what James is not doing is James is not speaking at us in a legalistic way. You hear what I'm saying to you? James is not speaking to us in legalism. He's speaking to us in lovealism. You know that when, 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 you know when a, a, a person who's been ordained by God to speak to you is speaking hard things to you, he's not doing it to judge you or, or, or to call you out or to nothing. He's saying it because he loves you and because if you don't receive it, you'll end up separated from Jesus forever, forever. 
That's a long time if you don't know. So, so, so this morning, uh, this morning, uh, there's three big ideas in, in James, and the ideas are faith, wisdom, and maturity. Uh, we're going to unpack these a little bit, and they'll help us to, to unpack the, the, the verses that we get in today. I'm not sure how far we're going to get into this today. So anyway, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For you must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yeah, that he is what? You must believe that he is God. Man, start putting that in your heart, in your mind today, right now as I'm speaking. Start putting God in your thoughts. Start putting God, the creator of everything. And you know what happened this morning? We'll all go out and we'll, the whole city will get saved. I'll be taking a nap because I'm going to be done after this. Oh, man. Wow. Without faith, without faith, without faith. So faith is a big deal. So anyway, uh, listen, faith is an action. In the, in the New Testament, faith has the connotation always of continuance. You know, you don't have faith one time. I believed once, and I never believed again. It, it, it's, in the, it's, it's in the continuance, and it's an action. Faith is always what you do. You know, the things that you believe always move you to a response. Every single time. You hear what I said? Say amen to that then. Amen. Yeah, the things you believe always move you to response. You're driving your car. You look down, and the gauge says empty. You don't just say, oh, yeah, it's empty. I'll just keep driving. <laughs> you pull into the gas station and fill the gas up, right? Because you believe the gas gauge is right, right? And it has a response to it. You go to the doctors and the doctor tells you sick and you need to do these certain things. You go home, you do them because you believe the doctor, right? Faith always has a response. And, and, and that is the, uh, the thing that, that James is saying here. You know, James says that faith without works is dead. And then everybody gets caught up in, what is he talking about? Is he talking about legalism? He's saying that everything you believe has a response. James is saying everything you believe has a response. And if the thing you're believing is Jesus, it should have a big response. Amen? Amen. So then that's not legalism then. That's not legalism if I want to do things for Jesus because what Jesus has done for me. Yeah, look what Jesus has done for me. You know, God's word says that those forgiven much love much. You know, anybody that knew me before this, I don't remember ever crying. You know, I'll cry if the wind blows now. I'm not even kidding. God just melted my heart. You know, he took me from being a thug into this and I was going to die and go to hell. And I was living such a cruddy life. And now I get to stand before my brothers and sisters and lift Jesus high. That's a miracle. And I get to stutter and say some other things too. It's going to be cool. <laughs> so listen, uh, faith without works is, is, is dead. And, 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 and basically what that looks like is this. It looks like head knowledge without no action or heart knowledge. So you know a bunch of stuff but you don't do none of them. Uh, okay, the second, the second big idea in, 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 is wisdom. Uh, wisdom, is, uh, wisdom is applied knowledge. You hear what I just said? Knowledge is learned information. Wisdom is the application of, of, of knowledge. And every time God's speaking about it, 
saying is that it, this, is, this is knowledge, and applying this to your life and applying this to every day is wisdom. So whenever you see the word wisdom, that's what he's speaking of. Uh, uh, James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament. It's exactly what he's telling us about. So, so, so wisdom, wisdom is, is uh, not only uh, applying God's word uh, to your life, but listen, uh, where wisdom begins at. Wisdom begins, uh, Proverbs 9.10 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Listen to me. This fear right here isn't uh, shaking in your boots, scared what God's going to do to you if you do anything wrong. That is not the fear that he is speaking of here. The fear that he is speaking of here is an awe of God. And encompassed in this giant awe of God is reverence, respect, love, and fear. And the fear that it is, is the fear that, the fear that recognizing that God has the power to do anything he wants to do. He's not going to do that to you, but he absolutely has the power to if he wanted to. That's the fear. It's like this. If your dad was George Foreman, and if you don't know who George Foreman is, George Foreman was a big, giant heavyweight. So if your dad's George Foreman, we know that George loves his kids. Why? Because he named every one of them George. George the second, George the third, George the fourth, George the fifth. I don't know how many Georges there are. But he loves them. Now, just because George Foreman has the ability to punch his children through the roof and into a low earth orbit, <laughs> probably he really does, it doesn't mean he's going to. And they're not walking around in fear of him because he's their dad. Not walking, not shaking because of God. I'm in awe of God. You know that if you have a healthy awe of God, it'll change everything about everything about everything about everything. If you start to try to comprehend and think about God, it's impossible. But if you try, if you try to get your heart wrapped around how perfect God is, that everything God does is righteous and true, that there's never, ever been a time that God has done anything that's not righteous and true. Ever. That is the God who says that we are his inheritance. What he wants on this planet has nothing to do with anything but us. We're his inheritance. We're who he wants. That should give you a crazy awe of God. And more than one person better say amen. <laughs> I'll just lay down right here and go to sleep. You'll be saying amen some other day. All right, cool. All right, cool. And it says, and it says, uh, it says, and, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this knowledge isn't a, isn't a head knowledge. It's an experiential heart and life knowledge of Jesus. What that means is the manifest presence of God. What that means is that you walk day by day with Jesus. This is what it looks like. You, you wake up in the morning and you hear Jesus whispering over you, son, daughter, wake up. We got something to do today. Something amazing. You know why? Because I've created good works for you to walk in before time even began. That is the knowledge that he's speaking of. 
knowing that God is right here with you, knowing that he wants you, that you are his inheritance. Listen to me. Uh, uh, last year, we went to the pastor's conference, and Levi Lusco had a book, Swipe Right. I don't know if you guys bought it or read it or whatever. But listen, in the book, he talks about a fourth wall. And he says that in all the movie industry and in plays and all that stuff, you know, if you ever see a, a set, it has three walls and then an open wall where all the cameras are at. Uh, that's called the fourth wall. They're pretending that there's a wall there that's blocking them and, and you guys aren't there. If I was standing right here pretending you guys weren't here. And, and what the book says is that that's how most Christians live their life with the fourth wall pretending that God can't see. But you know what God can't see? Well, come on, man. That's an easy question. This is not a theological question. There's nothing God can't see. God sees everything. Man, I, I'm crying up here now. I'm using Kleenex like Chris. <laughs> What's next? Wow. Okay, cool. You, you guys don't, you guys don't uh, snitch me off about being all crazy Pentecostal neither. What's up, with, what's up with that guy? It's not like you. So listen, so this knowledge, uh, the knowledge that he's not speaking of is, is worldly head knowledge. You know that uh, the smartest men on our planet don't believe in God. The smartest men on our planet are continually trying to disprove God. And what God says is a fool has said in his heart there's no God. God says that fear, is the be- fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. He's saying that these people have no wisdom, that they are fools, and that we Christians are wise. Guys, look at your neighbor and say you're wise. You are wise. You're the wisest people on the planet. So listen, uh, 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 it begins with the fear of God, and it's a gift from God. Uh, if you guys want to turn to Second Chronicles, go ahead. If you don't want to, you don't have to. You can if you want to. We're not going to be here. We're not camping here. We're going to go to James. But if you want to turn to there, I'm going to be in 2 Chronicles 1. So anyway, this is uh, Solomon. And Solomon uh, has just uh, inherited the kingdom from his dad. And uh, God tells him that he could ask for anything he wants. God tells him he could have uh, anything that he wants. And, and this, is what, this is what Solomon asked for. Solomon says, uh, now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in, in before these people. For, you, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then, then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart. Because this is what you asked for. There's nothing that I'm not going to give you. You know, this, this, I was reading this and it touched together. And I had those moments. And Matthew 6.33 touched on this Bible verse for me when I was reading it. And in the New Testament, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. King Solomon asked that God give him a heart to apply God's word to his life and to his people. And he said, because you asked for that, I'm going to give you all this other stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what that means is that you would center Jesus in your heart, your mind, and your life. That Jesus would be king and God. And everything else he'll take care of. It's a promise from God. Praise God is right. See, one person's excited. I like that. At least one person's super excited here. We didn't have one super excited person. I don't know what to do. Okay. 
listen, so it's a, it's a gift from God, and it, it's found in diligence. And, and the word diligence, you just see it all over. And the word diligence means maximum effort. That we as human beings would see and recognize how amazing and how good this is, and that we would do everything in our power to move towards that. And that I'm speaking of is Jesus. All right, so, so in, in, in Second Chronicles, uh, oh, my pastor, no, I'm in Job 28. Okay, in Job 28, listen, so I, I want you guys to get a grip on and a, get a, a semi-understanding of what he's talking about when he's talking about how important wisdom is. That's what we're unpacking right now, how important wisdom is. It, we, already, we already discovered that it makes God happy. It, 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 it brings a smile to God's face. But so listen to Job 20. It says this. Sure, there is a mine for silver, a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. What he's saying is that when we find something that we think is worth something, that we will give a maximum effort. If I was to tell you guys that I had a topical map and I knew for sure that the largest gold mine in the planet was right down the street, you guys would run out of here right now and go get shovels and be digging like crazy. That's what he's saying. He's saying that, you'll, that men will search every recess for ore in the darkness and in the shadow of death to look for anything. And then, and then in 12 he says, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? He says, man does not know its value. Its value is unmeasurable. You, it's beyond calculation. To apply God's word to your life every day, you would just live the most amazing life. And I'm not talking about without no trials or no tribulations. I'm talking about so close to Jesus, you won't care. Amen. So it goes on to say this. It says, it cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed. It's talking about wisdom for its price. It cannot be valued uh, it says the price of wisdom is above rubies. And then he says at the end, he says, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is to understand, is understanding. So faith is a belief. Oh, I'm sorry. So faith is belief in action. Wisdom is applying God's word in action. And the last of these three things that he's uh, big ideas of the morning are uh, maturity uh, and the three major ways that you can uh, uh, test your own maturity and know your own maturity is through faith, your belief and trust in God, how that is, how strong that is. And that's something that you could test yourself. You don't need to go around and test everybody else's. No, really, you don't. Patience. Patience just screams, I trust you, God. It, it, it's just a, it, it, it's amazing to God. And our love. You know, Jesus says that we'll be known by our love one for another. And what happens is when Jesus really gets into your heart and starts to change your heart about everything, it's impossible not to love people. You know why? Because Jesus died for them. You hear what I just said? Yeah. If Jesus loved them that much, we should love them too. Guys, even liberals. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to say especially liberals. I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> They need it more. <laughs> All right, cool. So it says if, if you don't know Jesus, you don't, you don't have any wisdom. 
Wisdom is applied knowledge, and it begins with the fear of God. It's a gift from God. Oh, I've already passed all that. I, I'm going backwards now. Praise God. <laughs> what? I, I guess I needed to repeat it. Holy Spirit speaking, not me. So blame it on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so anyway, uh, you guys all turn with me to James. Let's, let's open up James, and let's get into there and see what God's got for us. I'm breathing hard, too, on this thing, man. This thing's not my friend today. You guys, let me have an amen when you're there. All right, verse 1 says this. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Uh, James, a bondservant of God. James starts off his letter by saying who he is and whose he is. It's the very first thing he does. You know, you know what's really crazy about this is that James doesn't come out and say, hey, I'm Jesus' half-brother. I'm the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He comes out and he says, that I'm a bondservant of Jesus. The word bondservant uh, means a willing slave. In the Greek, the word is doulos, and here's what it looks like. Uh, you find yourself in captivity and slavery. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, they could either sell themselves into it if they had no money. There's other ways that they, they, they would fall into it. But what would happen is after seven years, or at least in the year of Jubilee, they would set you free. And if while you were in captivity, while you were under a master, the master was better to you than you are to yourself. When, you, when it came time to be set free, you would refuse, and they would pierce your ear, and you would come into the family forever. What James is saying is that Jesus is better to me than I could ever be to myself. In this one little statement, in one little line, he's telling us so much. He's telling us who he is and whose he is. He's a bondservant to Jesus. He's a willing slave of God. Yes and amen. John 8, 36 says this. Uh, Jesus says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And the only reason I bring this up is because younger Christians uh, tend to hear things, and then they get confused. So I just was talking about bondage and being a, a free slave, a willing slave. And now Jesus says that uh, those that he sets free are free indeed. Well, the deal is there's no contradictions. The things that Jesus has set you free from are death destruction, eternity separated from him. The things he separated you from are your bad choices in life. Your life that's not even a life if it's not empowered by Jesus. It's best it's a game. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God, I just like to say that. So there's, so there's no contradiction in free and slave. No contradiction at, at all. You know, uh, there was a time from maybe a uh, 18 to 30, where I had crazy, crazy long hair, and I was, I was uh, into metal. And I was running, and all these songs that I loved were, were, were running free. I'm not going to say the man's or nothing. I'm just going to say. There's a bunch of songs about it. And listen to me. I, I, my mantra was that I was running free. But the problem was that I was in bondage to everything. Me and freedom were diametrically opposed. We weren't even in the same neighborhood, you know. True. And listen to me. At that time, what I believed that was that there was no freedom found in Jesus. There was no freedom found in religion. That there was nothing but rules and other things. That freedom was found anywhere but in Jesus. That's how blind and deaf I was. If you do not find your freedom, if you do not find your 
everything in Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah, look somewhere else. Amen. All right, cool. Uh, Romans 6.22 says this, but now having been set free from sin, that's what Jesus set you free from, and having become a slave of God, you have your fruit to holiness and and the end everlasting life. You have your fruit to holiness and then everlasting life. Listen, 2 Peter 1.3 says this, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His glory is his perfect divinity and his virtue is his perfect human existence. Jesus, by his virtue and his glory, he's called us. And it says, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to an abundant life and all things that pertain to Christian maturity. He says he has given them all to us. Then why do we always seem like we are lacking so many of them? The reason is because we have to mature into them. Uh, An infant has everything it needs to become an adult. What an infant doesn't do is two years old, it doesn't go buy a bigger head. Five years old, it doesn't go buy longer legs. It doesn't have to do that, right? Because it has everything that it needs to become an adult. We have everything that we need to become mature Christians. You know what we need? We need Jesus, we need our brothers. Yeah, that's what we need. We have everything we need. We're lacking nothing. So, so listen, so everybody has to choose a master and every last person is a slave to something. You know, and I can unpack that, but I'm just going to tell you that everybody's a slave. Nobody's free. Either you're a slave to drugs, you're a fl- slave to alcohol, you're a slave to money, you're a slave to you name it. But nobody is free unless Jesus has set them free. So anyway, we have to choose a master. And Jesus tells us if we choose him, what we can expect. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Yeah, if the world is, if the world is, is heavy on you. Come to Jesus. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's saying is if that you will be united to him, if you'll be yoked up to him, if you'll be chained up to him, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But if you'll be yoked up and you'll be chained up to Satan, to the world, your yoke will be hard and your burden will be heavy. And why am I saying that? Because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that I have translated you out of the kingdom of darkness and I've translated you into the kingdom of light. So there's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. Every kingdom has what? A king. Absolutely a master. He's taken us out of that old life and delivered us into a new life. So, so Jesus is saying if we'll follow him, that our, that our yoke is easy and our burdens light. And it says, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he, here's, here's why I keep talking about master. Because this word Lord here means master. It's Jesus' title. And anytime you call Jesus Lord and you don't do what he says, he's really not your master. He's saying, Jesus is my master. 
He's my Lord, and I'm going to follow the things he says, and I'm going to do the things that he tells me to do. Uh, it says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Uh, this is important for a couple reasons. Uh, the first reason this is important is because of the reason they were scattered abroad. They were scattered abroad because they were being murdered, persecuted. They, they, they were being discriminated against. You know, they were, they, it, it was just terrible to be a Christian at that point. And that is what scattered them abroad. And listen, James is writing this letter and telling them to count all their trials joy. He's writing to people who are being murdered. He's writing to people who are being dispersed. He's writing to them. You know, it, it gives us as modern day Christians the ability to weigh our trials, the ones that we can't even count joy. I, I lost 10 bucks yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's a bad analogy. Forget about that. All right, the second, the second, the second, the second one here is it, 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 it says they're scattered abroad. Uh, uh, dispersed is the word in the Greek, dispersion. And it, it, whatchamacallit, and it has the connotation or the meaning of scattering seeds. And that's exactly what happened with, with these Christians. They were scattered abroad and they grew and grew and grew and their fruit was the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of salvation. What happened is they started planting churches all over the place. In this, in, this, in this trial, in this hard thing, what happened is all kinds of people got saved. You know that every time uh, Satan uses or means something for, for evil, God flips it to good if you're walking in Christ. You know, Jesus is on the cross and Satan thinks he's won. But it turns out to be the greatest moment in the history of man. Praise God. This is what happened here. Satan thinks that he's dispersed these Christians and it's the end of them. And what's really happened is they've went and planted churches everywhere. That's why he says, count it all joy. We're going to keep pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. Keep pushing that until you buy it. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get into verse 2, but we're going to camp out in verse 2 for a while. So just keep your eyes and your minds trained on verse 2. Verse 2 says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. My brethren, uh, he's talking to the saints. He's talking to born-again believers. He's talking to us. Uh, you know, there's a purpose and a plan to every trial God allows. You guys just write that down. If you've got a pencil to write it down, write it down. Because it's something you ha- I, I should have said it 50 times before, to, before right now. There's a purpose and a plan for every trial. There's a purpose and a plan for every trial. And if you will start to look at them, if you'll start to see them as, a, as, as having a purpose and a plan from God, you'll see them in a different light. And you'll start to uh, enjoy them even maybe. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe if you're like me, you might. I don't know. You know, there's, a, there's been seasons in, in this walk. I've been walking for uh, 14 years. And there's been seasons where I've been on mountaintops. And, and when I was a younger Christian, I wanted to be there. And, and then as I've grown some, I've recognized that there I don't grow at all. You know, I know that everything happens in the valley. Everything happens in the battle. You know, so, so I don't mind being there. So anyway, uh, there's a purpose and a plan to God allowing trials. Uh, God tests our faith with trials. Romans 5, th- th- Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. We also rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. So not only are we counted joy in trials, but we're to rejoice in, in, in persecution. We're to rejoice in it. Listen, this word count here, 
This is a, a word in the Greek, and it means to consider, to evaluate, to weigh it up. And listen, if you'll do this in your life, it'll change your life. It'll just change your life. If you start weighing the things that happen to you and why they happen to you, you know, it's easy for me to see when I'm, when I'm not doing what it tells me to do what happens to my life and what happens to me. And, and, and when I am doing what God tells me to do, I, I, it's easy for me to see. But if you'll weigh it up and not let it just be some, oh, that just happened for randomness. If you're a Christian, nothing happens for randomness. Yeah. So, so this word has the connotation of, of evaluating, counting it. Uh, you know, and Jesus, like always, is our greatest example of this, right? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for, for who for the joy, he did it for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame is set down at the right hand of God. Uh, you know, listen to this. Jesus weighed it up. Jesus evaluated it. And what he said is, I love you more than even this, this horrible death. And I have done nothing. I'm the king of the universe. You know, he counted it. He weighed it up. Count it all. So how much are we to count? All of it. Romans 8, 28 says that we know that all things work together for the uh, good of those. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We, we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that, right? You know, uh, it's, it, it's important to check out, too, who loves God. It's important just because it's a, it's a, a verse that speaks about wisdom. Uh, John 14 is Jesus speaking. Uh, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He'll walk in wisdom. If anyone loves me, he'll walk in wisdom, and my Father will love him. Joy, you guys know that joy is different than happiness. Happiness is externally driven. You know, you win some money, you're happy. You lose that money, you're sad. <laughs> right? Joy comes, from, joy comes from knowing that the king of the universe indwells you, and that he said that when you leave this planet, the first thing you're going to see is his face, and the first thing you're going to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Uh, it says, when you, oh, this is so important, man. Now, we could really just camp right here. All right, it says, when you, who? You. All right, so you guys touch yourself and say me. 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 Touch yourself a few more times, me. me. Who this is for is you, not everybody else. Hey, you're going through this trial? You should just count it all joy. <laughs> Not everybody else. You. And if you would do it, nobody would ever have to tell anybody anything. Yeah, what Jesus' word says is that to rejoice with those that rejoice and to be sad or sorrowful with those that are in sorrow. If you see your brother going through a trial and he's not going through it well, point him to Jesus. Point him to Jesus. Yeah, when he matures some, he'll figure this out himself. I guarantee it. All right, cool. When you, uh, it says, uh, when you, uh, not if, but when, right? We're guaranteed that we're going to go through trials and tribulations. Uh, oh, it says, uh, it says uh, uh, it, that every trial and tribulation is for you, and in every trial and tribulation, there's personal growth. You're the one that grows through it. You're the one that grows from it. Uh, God tells us to rejoice uh, with those, oh, yeah. All right, so. Uh, test, uh, test, listen to me, uh, test, all the tests that God allows us to go through, you know what they're for? 
They're for us. They're for us to be able to measure our maturity. They're for us to be able to grow in faith. But listen, you know that God is never, ever surprised about the test. He's, he, he, he knows whether you're going to pass or fail. He didn't give you the test and say, oh, wow, he passed. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that. You know, that, that, that's, not what it, that's not what it's for. It's for you. So what happens is once you've passed the test, you, you put that uh, stone in your pocket and you put that memory in your pocket. You remember, right? And you have it. And, and as you walk and as you pass some things, your pockets just start to get filled up with every time God has brought you through something. Pretty soon it's easy to go through stuff because you remember, right? You have them. You have them. Uh, these trials, uh, these tests uh, are all have a purpose and a plan. And the purpose and the plan is to build our faith. Uh, God says, word says that he gives us faith the size of a mustard seed enough to believe that he is God. And then he says he builds his faith if we'll continue to walk in him into faith that can move mountains. Who wants mountain moving faith? Both hands up, man. Who wants mountain moving faith? All right, cool. You know, you know how you get mountain-moving faith? We have the greatest example in the New Testament. You know, uh, the guy that probably has the most faith in the New Testament is Paul. And you know how Paul got his faith? He tells you, I've been beaten more times. I've been shipwrecked more times. I've been in prison more times. I've been stoned to death in Lystra. He got his huge, enormous faith through huge, enormous trials. That's how he obtained it. You know, uh, Paul and Silas uh, are, are preaching and they're teaching and, and they're, they're, they're glorifying Jesus. And what happens is they take him and they beat him with rods and they throw him in prison. And then two of them are in prison and they're just absolutely muttering and PO'd about it. They're talking to each other. Yeah, they're talking to each other, they're telling each other, God, how can you let this happen? I was preaching and teaching your word and now this is where I'm at. No, it says they were in there rejoicing and praising God. And what happened is the whole prison got changed. They did what God asked them to do. And in that something miraculous happened. It says that all the doors of the prison were open and not one prisoner escaped. The guard is going to kill himself. And Paul says, don't. We're all here. They were, they were mesmerized by these two men who had been beat for doing the right thing and thrown in prison for the right thing and were singing and crying out and praising God. It says that the jailer and his family were saved that night and baptized. Praise God. Uh, and that's what happens. God's purpose and plan happens and people are set free. In every trial and every tribulation, God has a purpose and a plan. Always. Amen. It says fall into various trials. And, and what kind of trials are these? These are all kinds of trials. It says various, big, small, hard, easy, light, all kinds of trials. Uh, listen, uh, is, are Christians the only people that fall into trials? You know, a lot of Christians give up when they fall into trials. They run back into the world. The world is filled with trials. You know what the world doesn't have? It doesn't have Jesus to walk through any of them with them. Yeah, when I was in the world, man, my life was destroyed. Man, my choices, man, I, I was the king of bad choices, man. <laughs> I can make bad choices, I tell you. I'm kidding about that. So, so, so it, it's worse for them, right? 
so, so if you're going through something, don't blame God and don't turn your back on God because of it. He's there with you through it and in it. And as you grow and mature, you'll start to recognize and see that. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of not fair for you younger guys, man, for you younger girls. I'm old. God's wor- the word says that my life is but a vapor. I'm at the end of my vapor. I'm just looking for Jesus. <laughs> I'm just looking for Jesus, man. So, so I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so, so the longest trial I ever went through was three and a half years. It was the first three and a half years I walked, and I fought with God every day about sp- some, some stuff. And, and what happened in those three and a half years is the foundation that made me a pastor today. I learned to trust God with everything. I just learned to believe that God was right about everything. And I also, I, as, as not smart as I am, I did learn that, uh, that, that the sooner I agreed with God, the sooner I could move forward and get out of any of the pain that I was causing and creating in my life. So I, I learned a, a few good things. And there's been a few trials that I've short, fallen short in. And what I mean is I've had a few trials where they've been a few months long. And, and I was getting towards the finish line, but I didn't know it was the finish line. And I would throw my hands up and say, oh, I'm done with this. And then two days later it would end and God would say, D, you're just two days away. So if you guys are going through anything today, maybe it's only two days away. That's not prophecy. I'm just saying it could be. all right verse three it says knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience knowing that the protesting knowing being assured of right uh that testing uh nothing can be proven without testing you don't know if you're brave unless you've ever been brave unless you've ever had to be brave you don't know if you believe or trust god unless you've ever had to believe or trust god it's impossible to test your faith, I mean, to have faith without testing it. You know, it's impossible to, to have anything without testing it. You know, if I invited you to my house and you came over and I said, hey, I'm making some cold medicine in my bathtub, you want some? <laughs> I hope none of you would take it. <laughs> no, Pastor D, that hasn't been tested yet. Okay. So anyway, uh, this is what happens in a trial. Uh, the testing that, that we're doing is our, is our faith, but uh, how do you act in a trial? Do you act scared? Do you act mad? Are you mad at God? Are you anxious? Are you, are you lost? Are you, are you out of control? Are, are you calm? And are you sure that God is in control? This is a, a way for you to test yourself. Who did I say the testing is always for? ourselves ourselves you know what god knows about your brother everything you don't need to tell him anything about him but what about him you know no what about you it's always about what about us it's always about that if we could figure that out we'd have such a great body and such a great life we could just figure that out so so listen testing works for us and not against us it increases our faith like nothing else you know uh what happens in in this uh in this testing and, and in this uh, uh, allowing Jesus to be Jesus is you start to develop a real uh, experiential life and heart knowledge of God. And what I'm talking about is the manifest presence of God. What that means is that God is literally walking with you every day through everything and you're not confused about it. You know that you know that you know that Jesus is king and in control. Amen. 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 Uh, so what's being 
what's being tested is our faith, our trust and belief in God. Psalms 38, um, 34.8 says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusted him. Uh, a couple years ago, we had a two step kids, or two foster kids, and both of them were, 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 were ghetto kids. Their parents were hardcore dope fiends. And, uh, so so the, the way they lived was, like most ghetto kids, they ate uh, chicken sticks, fish sticks, uh, uh, macaroni and cheese. That, that's what they lived on. But when they got to my house, I would cook. But they didn't want nothing to do with none of that. You know, they didn't like anything. You know, so, so one time I made some etouffee, and, and it had shrimp in it. And they were talking about, oh, never eat that. That's nasty and all this nonsense. And then one of them, the younger one, ate it and loved it. So now every day I'd come home from work, I'm not even kidding, for at least two weeks, I'd come home every day and she'd say, are you cooking shrimp today? <laughs> that is tasting and seeing that God is good and wanting him every day, wanting more of him. Amen? If, if you take some time to see God's plan and purpose in every trial, it'll start to mature and grow you like you've uh, never, ever, ever experienced in your walk so far. The end of verse 3 says to produce patience. So uh, three, we're just going to take a look at three quick things about patience. Patience, first and foremost, is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It says, God, I trust you. I believe you. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. I'm just sitting right here waiting for whatever you're going to do next. Patience is a, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Uh, patience is endurance and the ability to keep moving forward when things are tough. Paul in prison with Silas, right? Uh, and the last connotation of the word patience uh, has the meaning of courage and perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. Hebrews 6.12 says this, that you do not become sluggish but in, 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 imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What promises is he talking about? He's talking about the promises of God. Second Peter tells us that those promises are exceedingly great, exceedingly precious. And that word means beyond calculation. There's no way to understand it or calculate how, what God's promises really are. Uh, all right, cool. So when we, learn, when we learn to wait and trust in God, he, he will do great things in, in us and through us. Uh, so we're just going to take a few minutes, and we're going to close here probably. I have a few more pages. How much time we got? Well, we got some pages. I just don't know if I'm talking you guys' ear off, or you guys done listening to me. All right, so anyway, if you guys are, you can just say amen, and we'll pray it out. All right, so <laughs> so, so a couple of the benefits, a couple of the benefits of, of trials and tribulations. Uh, every time you're in something difficult, you're on your knees, right? You're talking to God, right? You're praying all the time. You're spending a lot of time. And depending on how big the trial is, is how much you're on your knees, how much you're crying out to God. You know, about five or six years ago, I, I decided I was going to find out what the big giants of Christian faith had that I didn't have. I was going to find out what Spurgeon had and what Moody had, what Tozer had, what Chambers had. So I started reading all their bios, and I thought, I'm going to find a common denominator in these books about their lives, about what make them such giants of the faith. I'm going to find out that they either were all deep theologians and they went to this seminary. And, but what I found out is that some of them were high school dropouts. 
you know what they all had in common? The common denominator for all of them was they loved God insanely and they all prayed crazy. That's it. The two qualifiers. You know who qualifies for that? Everybody. Everybody. Everybody qualifies. We could be giants of the faith. Just got to fall crazy in love with Jesus and talk to him all the time. Uh, the second benefit of trials is they grow your faith like nothing else. You know, Paul's our greatest example of that. Uh, they give us remembrance, all that God has done for us. You know, remembering what God's done for us is so important when you come into a new season. You know, what happens is, you know, a lot of times we forget, right? You know, you, you see the, the apostles do it over and over again. You're like, how could they do that? You know, I don't know. I could do it easily. I'm not ever surprised by anything anybody in the Bible does. I could have done it quicker, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but, but, but what happens is, you know, they, they feed 5,000, and then a few weeks later, they're, they're like, how are we going to feed these guys? They, they didn't have remembrance of it, right? But, but trials, if, if you'll let God get you and walk you through them, you'll have remembrance of them. It's important to have remembrance of them. And listen to me. Uh, it gives you the ability to walk your brothers and sisters through the same thing you've been through. It makes you an intricate part of the body and it makes you a brother and a sister who is now an encourager, right? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1 4 says this Who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You go through stuff, and you know who you want to talk to? You want to talk to somebody who's been through that. You know, I have a. I have a, a, a special voice when it comes to thug drug addicts. I can speak to them. You know, I know what they're doing. I know what they're going through. You know, they could listen to me and accept that because they know I've been through it. You know, whatever your sphere is, you know that there's people that are hurting, that have, have, are going through things you've already been through. You need to step up and love them, Right? This is what Jesus did for me when I was going through this. This is what he wants to do for you. This is what he did for me. This is what he could do for you. So the last, the last benefit of trials is, is there's a purpose and a plan in them. Our part is to see and understand what God is doing with and, with and in them for us. Verse 4. I guess we can keep going for a minute, huh? It says, but let, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Nathan's saying, no, man, he's all more jumpy than me that guy right there <laughs> listen okay we're going to close with this first then but it says it says but let uh, uh this is a connotation of receiving but let it says but let patience have its perfect work not not just not just hearing it but doing it right L letting patience have its perfect work you have to walk in patience to let patience have its perfect work and it says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, the word, the word uh, perfect isn't sin is perfection. It's talking about spiritual maturity. Colossians uh, 3 says that uh, uh, love is the bond of perfection. And he's not talking about sin is perfection. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Patience is one of the big indicators of spiritual maturity. Uh, love is one of the big indicators of spiritual maturity. So what's him call it? Uh, uh, let patience. Uh. Okay. Uh, the testing of our faith drives believers to a deeper communion with God and a greater trust in Christ. 
So, so patience are a sign of maturity, uh, just like love is a sign of maturity, and it says, and complete. And this word complete means that you would be a full-rounded Christian, that you would show uh, signs of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that you would show these because those are fruits of the Spirit, right? Uh, they're, they're, all, they're all activated by the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love. Yeah, Jesus says that I can wrap up all the law and the prophets in two commandments. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. That's, that's what we need to do. Listen, when we get better at that, then we can learn all kinds of deep theology and all kinds of other things. But, but first, let's get a hold of the basics, loving Jesus with everything and loving others as ourselves. And then let's move into some other uh, areas of uh, head knowledge, theology, doctrine. Uh, can I call the band up or are they not going to come up? I called them up the first service. I said, can I call the, the worship band back up? They said, nope. I, so then I just kept calling them back up. Please come up. But they weren't nowhere. They wouldn't come up. I want to read something to close you guys. I just want to read the closing page of this. And I want to tell you guys something. You know that you guys are my family and that I love you guys. I have not just a special place. This is my second family. I just, just fell in love with Patrick. Uh, he came to the, the men's conference and all the boys that came, you know, I just love you guys. Tony, Chris, you know, you guys are part of me. And you know that God is gracious and good. It allows me to come up every once in a while and see you guys. And always in April. April's a good month for me. It's not too cold. Watch from caught. <laughs> so listen, uh, uh, what James, what James was, was, was preaching about today, what James was teaching about today is faith, wisdom, and maturity. God's purpose in trials is maturity. The only way God can develop patience and, characters, and character in our lives is through trials. God's purpose in trials is maturity. The only way God can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials. So when we think of, when we think of it this way, instead of negatively, these trials are making me a mature Christian, allowing me to trust God in all circumstances and building a strong character that will benefit everyone around me. Patience and character in our lives comes to us through trials. They are, they are the purpose and the plan of God. Endurance does not come through reading books. It comes through an experiential heart and life knowledge of God. We must go through the difficulties in life, trust God, and obey his word. The result is patience and character. I know my God. I know he is good. Yeah, and I know he's for me. Amen? All right, let's close this thing. Father, we just uh, thank you for today. We just thank you for your love and for our lives, God. I just thank you for my brothers and sisters here, God. And I ask that you would allow each of us, God, to really have just got a hold of something today, just a deeper understanding, a deeper love for you, Jesus, a deeper need for you, God. I ask that you would just continue to bless this church, God, that you just continue to bless this family, that you would move them forward, God, that you would, uh, that you would just do some amazing things with the brothers and sisters here, God, that you would just rock this uh, uh, state, God, with this church, God. You'd rock the nation with this church, God. So we just uh, give you today. We thank you for it. Thank you for uh, allowing us to just have some time together. We just love you, thank you, praise you, need you, and want you. And we ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>